Hi, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Perfect Prey. I'm glad you're here. My name is Dr. Christine Marie Cochola, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker and have a doctorate in clinical social welfare, where I researched course of control and the impact on both adult and child victims. Most importantly, I am a survivor and a protective parent. Victims and survivors of course control are never to blame, but I chose the name Perfect Prey because coercive controllers who are individuals who apparently have characterologically disordered personalities do choose who to prey upon. They choose people who tend to be agreeable and conscientious, perhaps loyal to a fault, fixers, optimistic, and empathic. Or these coercive controllers prey upon those who are most vulnerable including our children. It's part of their plan to gain control. How do we help our children when they are experiencing systematic, unacknowledged child abuse? We need to understand how these course controllers, harmful individuals, attempt to exert their power over us and our children. We need to look beyond a trauma-informed lens, but also layer it with a course of control lens. So, Let's engage in personal power conversations that will create protective parts that will derail the course of controller from his plan. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for subscribing. We have had over 5,000 listens to Perfect Prey. If you are new here, a quick synopsis. I believe that abusers, course of controllers, also known as narcissistic abusers, choose certain people to prey upon. Perfect prey, empathic, loyal to a fault, such as forgiving more than we should, optimistic, and fixers and givers in a relationship. As I'm saying this, perhaps you are thinking of yourself. And now I'm asking you to think of your children. Because just like we may have been perfect prey, our children were that much more perfectly aligned to be the prey of an abusive individual. When it's their parent or a loved one, someone who has power over them, just by the nature of the relationship, it makes that much more sense that a vulnerable child can be used in this way very readily. This podcast is about unpacking all of this and best strategies to support ourselves and more importantly, our children trapped in the web of the course of controller. So if you are a new listener, please be sure to rate Perfect Prey since that helps others to find us. Also, if you know someone who has experienced estrangement, I think this podcast will prove to be supportive for them. Children who refuse contact with a parent may do so because the parent is abusive. That makes perfect sense. But they also may do so if they have been indoctrinated, much like a cult, against their protective parent. I prefer not to use the word alienation for a variety of reasons. The most important one is that it is co-opted by the father's all too often in family court when mothers are simply trying to protect their children from the abusive behavior. It's all coercive control. It's a weaponization of the children. We had the most listeners in episode two when I discussed the who, what, why, and how of coercive controllers. People are always intrigued in this. The characterologically disordered individual and what the heck makes them want to harm so many people. I was a guest on Susan Guthrie's podcast a few weeks ago during Domestic Abuse Awareness Month. And she called it the anatomy of the abusers. Check it out if you'd like. I think for all of us, hearing the character traits is affirming. We aren't crazy. They are abusive. This past week, 
One of my clients told me that someone in her family told her the situation wasn't always bad, that the abuser wasn't always a monster, that he turned into a monster. (sighs) Nothing more frustrating than that. The reality is, is that people don't turn into monsters. They actually were always that way. They just may have done a really great job of hiding it for a longer period of time. Don't let anyone minimize your circumstances. Your gut is not wrong. The course of controller tried to help diminish your intuition for sure. But now that you're back on track and you understand it, do not let anyone minimize it. So as promised, in this episode, we really start digging in deep and speaking directly to the weaponization of children. As a clinician and doing this work since the age of 19, teaching on the subject each semester, I did not realize my own trauma bond and subsequent indoctrination of my own beautiful children. I always say that these abusers, these course of controllers, start this work from day one. How are we to notice when at day one we are implicitly trusting that the other person is a decent human, a good human? Perhaps a reflection on the dark triad is in order. Not all narcissists are coercive controllers, but all coercive controllers are narcissistic abusers. And the individuals you all are dealing with, exes who are inflicting greater coercive control post-separation, the financial abuse, the psychological abuse, the legal abuse, the use of the children, and the literal intentional harms inflicted onto you by weaponizing the systems against you is truly something that we could see as defined as the dark triad a term coined by researchers Delroy L. Palhouse and Kevin M. Williams in 2002. The dark triad consists of narcissism, the characterization of grandiosity, pride, egotism, and a lack of empathy, Machiavellianism, characterized by manipulation and exploitation of others, a lack of morality, callousness, and extremely self-centeredness, and then, of course, the third, psychopathy, Characterized by antisocial behavior, which is, of course, as we know, these abusers will almost do anything, including break the law, impulsivity, selfishness, callous and unemotional traits, and this remorselessness. I always say that these course of controllers will do anything for revenge. Revenge at all costs is really how they operate. They don't have remorse. This is often happening in our family courts but no one is recognizing these traits. Or are the courts complicit? Are some court professionals simply ignoring or minimizing the experiences of victims and survivors? Or do they have a level of fear about these perpetrators? It's easy to remain neutral. Ellie Wiesel in his seminal book, Night, about the Holocaust states, we must take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor never the tormented. Isn't this abuse much like the indoctrination that occurred in the Holocaust? I believe it is. It is cult mentality within the family system. And the sooner we recognize that our children are in that cult system, the sooner we'll be able to support them. If the abuse was occurring with strangers, then we would see these abusers as they are and we would hold them accountable. But because it's happening behind closed doors, our systems minimize, dismiss the abuse. The antithesis of the dark triad is the light triad. The light triad is humanistic on one side. All humans deserve respect. It's faith in humanity on the second side. Fundamental belief that all humans possess goodness and that we can trust that all people will act in the best interest of others. Oh my gosh. 
the world we've lived in shows us the complete opposite. And it's Kantianism. It comes from this idea of Immanuel Kant, the idea that we have a moral duty to act in a good way, whether it benefits us or not. This is typically who victims and survivors are. People are ends unto themselves and not pawns in someone else's games. This is the complete opposite of the dark triad. Pawns. This is exactly what the children become in so many of these circumstances. I prefer the word weapons because they are weaponized against the protective parent. So in narcissism, I may portray a wonderful family life to the community, to the world. I might have a successful career in the home. I may be overtly exerting power or covertly exerting power. And the children may, in fact, fear me. Dr. Emma Katz's research highlights the experiences of 15 children she completed interviews with. Dangerous fathering was how some children described their fathers. It led the children to feeling unsafe in their home due to their father's reactivity, including banging on doors and windows, making death threats towards their mothers, or in some way punishing the children by destroying personal items. Additionally, these children had an awareness of others in their support network who were being threatened by these fathers due to the connection with their mother. This definitely left the children feeling trapped with fear ever present. The children, as pawns, like we see in the Duluth post-separation abuse wheel, suffering fear, being overtly abused as a retaliation for the adult victim escaping the relationship. In some cases, there was admirable fathering, involving fathers appealing to the sympathy of their children by painting a picture in which their father, not the adult or children who are being targeted, was the true victim in the relational dynamics. And it was their role as a child to support them. From a clinical perspective, this is parentified child. A child actually feels like they have to take care of someone when it's not their role to do so. Of course, the children described feelings of confusion as they tried to reconcile any perceived dangerous fathering behaviors they had witnessed. So these were children who were witnessing the dangerous fathering, but also then saw their father appealing to their sympathy, calling it admirable fathering. There was an understanding, we have to believe, that if the children did not care for this person, if they did not take on the role as parent, as someone who was giving sympathy to their father, that they might also suffer the wrath of that course of controller. The idea of omnipresent fathering, when regardless of the circumstances, children relayed feeling unsafe. Of course, what do we know? We know that children are very dysregulated in these circumstances. They're consistently walking on eggshells and that they might actually have regressive behaviors. The omnipotence, the oppression within the family system, no matter how the course of controller exerted his control, leaves a space for living on eggshells all the time. And this regulation of behavior is a traumatic experiencing in the brain. If the adult victim is living in this state of unknowing, or as Dr. Evan Stark and Dr. Lisa Fonte state, perspecticide occurs. It is this loss of what we should know. It's a form of brainwashing that happens regularly in the toxic relationship. It's this stripping away of a person's autonomy. It's the carpenter ants devouring the foundation of a home. And that everyone in the home is experiencing that collapse. That collapse occurs no matter where you're living in the home. It's a trauma for sure. But what if the children who do not overtly fear the course of controller don't see the course of controller overtly, maybe subconsciously they do, as dangerous? Maybe the course of controller doesn't even show up dangerous. The child who sees this course of controller, who has almost always behaved pretty well, and perhaps the protective parent has been dysregulated due to the abuse, the course of controller capitalizes on this. They become the hero, the stable parent, 
apparently, simply by their facade to ensure that they have diminished the protective parent. Oftentimes, these children align. They become indoctrinated into the false yet very believable narrative, gaslighting and betrayal by the course of controller, yet the child may feel betrayed by the protective parent due to the gaslighting. How is a child to be able to discern the difference? If from day one, there has been performance by this course of controller, the child has no other way to discern what could be accurate or inaccurate. So for example, the child might be really good at baseball. And so this being good at baseball might elevate the course of controller and the course of controller is going to really feel really positive about baseball. So we're all excited when our children do well in athletics or if they get a good grade at school, you know, if they're playing their trumpet just beautifully, even kind of they're squeaking it around, squeaking around the house playing the trumpet. We just think it's adorable and we love it. And then there's a little bit of us like, wow, that's my kid, right? That's a pride thing. That's a good thing. That's a normal parenting thing. We get the happiness. We feel the happiness inside our body for our children. We just have such great, immense affection for them. But what if they're used as pawns? What if this is a weapon to be used against the protective parent? These are individuals who are using the children to fill their own empty ego tanks. The, the trumpet playing, the baseball playing, that's all just to fill their empty ego tanks. And the child will cooperate with them to get treated well. And this helps the child to further align because they're getting positively reinforced. They're getting the approval from those in that position of power over them, that course of control, or it's a normal part of development. So they might participate in the sport that the abuser wants them to participate in, just simply to get that approval. I have one mom whose child wants to participate in theater, but knows that the course of control will not allow it. Theater is not for boys. This is the oppression of boys in our world, not allowed to be authentically themselves in a world that requires certain behaviors to meet expectations of being a man. This oppression, of course, occurs with our girls, but as you can see, this little boy is being shamed in his expression of what he wants to do. Experts call this the man box, a structure, something that boys learn at an early age that they need to fit into. The central premise of the man box is that if you don't fit in, you're not a real man. And not being a real man carries a heavy social price. The social price is shame. And shame begets shame. As you've heard me detail before, shame and inability to be authentic and receive unconditional love is the recipe for creating a course of controller, a narc abuser, or a victim of these abusers for both girls and boys. The worst part for the protective parent is when their child falls in line with the course of controller and sees the course of control as the fun and engaging parent, the one that they can trust, even though this is not reality. This is all intentional. It's an intentional diminishing of the protective parent in the homes that the course of controller is elevated. And of course, children with their developing brains are easily drawn to the person who gives them more or has more power over them. When I say gives them more, I mean they have car blanc sometimes with what they want to do as they develop. There is no structure held in place. This is going to be the fun dad, the dad that will not necessarily hold requirements. Again, we're not talking about that more oppressive dad, the dangerous dad. These parents may diminish a child's special needs, saying an assessment is not necessary or tutors are useless, and then ensure that your child feels similarly. I've worked with so many moms with their child's illnesses are blamed on the mother. The mother is pathologized for her concerns. 
One mom recently told me she had a Yale doctor confirming the illness, but the doctor feared documenting this with the court, and the child continues to be untreated. The desire to maliciously fracture the parental bond, the parental attachment to create a space where one parent is elevated over the other parent begins from day one in an attempt to be ready in case the course of controller loses his grip over the protective parent. You couldn't have imagined this. You did not know this was going to happen. You didn't realize you were going into war. You thought you were creating a family. I know this sounds exaggerative, but it is the reality. If I'm a person who can't handle abandonment or rejection, I need to retaliate at all costs. And I'm going to prepare because the fear of abandonment and being exposed is overwhelming and cannot be confronted. So I'll strategize all along to ensure that I have my soldiers all lined up and ready to go. And if things go well, I won't have to use them. But if things don't go well, I'll be ready. When my partner indicates that they may not be as in love with me after years of abuse, or that my partner is spending more time with friends and family, or I've been caught as a course of controller, cheating. And I will now accuse my partner of doing that behavior. As you know, the accusation is the confession. As the course of controller, I will be ready. I will have numerous cracks in the foundation of attachment, like carpenter ants, to ensure if I accuse the protective parent of something, it's totally believable. I am an expert gaslighter. And I'm ready. And my children will believe me because they think they're attached to me. You see, I've come across as the hero. I've come across as the fun person. I've also been insidiously diminishing all along the protective parent. So this false narrative the children have been engaged in doesn't seem false at all. So it's really important that we recognize this now so that we can be proactive. We need to recognize that there are going to be things that are going to be used against us in this process, whether it's family court, separation, or just the false indoctrination that the children are hearing. Oftentimes we suffer from significant anxiety and depression. This will be used against us. Oftentimes, we may have decided to stay home instead of take on a career. This will be used against us. There are so many things. Think about the list. Write out the list of things that you think your children may be hearing about you that are untrue. Start thinking about what that might look like so that you can be prepared without being defensive to lay out the truth for them. They need the truth. They think they've been hearing the truth. So, When we are in the den with a wolf, we will need to cope in some way. And so in that, this course of controller is going to ensure that your children feel like they are in the den with the wolf, except that you're the wolf when he is actually the wolf. Our children are confused. There is betrayal trauma. And this betrayal trauma occurs when someone we love or trust has power over us or mistreats us. And if we can believe that we're not betrayed by that person, then we might feel safer. We can become blind to the betrayal. So many of the moms that I talk with, their children are blind to the betrayal. They can't fathom that this person that they're spending more time with, that they actually think is funner or is really their protective parent. They can't believe that this parent is actually betraying them. This weaponization of the children as child abuse creates a significant complex trauma that's not talked about in child welfare, not recognized by our family courts, by our schools, by any of our systems. As you know, it's really a significant trauma. This is course of control of our children. 
It's child abuse. I look forward to unpacking this further and more about the weaponization of children. It all started on day one. Thanks for joining me, everyone, and I'll see you in our next episode. Thank you for listening to Perfect Prey. You can find the show on my website at iknowyourheart.com or courseofcontrolconsulting.com or subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts. I'd love your feedback and I'm always looking for ideas on how to continue to expose course control as the significant harm and child abuse that it is. The best way to support the show is to rate and review Perfect Prey on Apple Podcasts. It helps others to find us. Perfect Prey is written by me, Dr. Christine Cocciola, and with the help of my amazing assistant, Sheena Pastor. Thank you and have a great day, everyone.